Welcome to Rabbi Michael Whitman's weekly podcast, Mining the Riches of the Parsha, where we discuss, using classic and modern sources, the insights of each Parsha that will make a difference in your life. Good evening and welcome to Mining the Riches of the Parsha. It is so wonderful to have all of us here together to study this evening. And I'd like to start with a Pasuk in this week's Parsha. If you have the stone Chumash, we're on page 1016, 1016, the bottom of the page, Pasuk number 11. If you have the stone Chumash, if you don't, don't worry about it because I'm going to read the Pasuk out loud. And the Pasuk goes like this. Alkain Anochi Mitzavcha Lemar. Therefore, God says, I have commanded you, saying, Pasoach Tiftach Es Yodcha Laachicha Laniecha you shall surely open your hand to share what you have with your brother who is in need, with those who are impoverished in your land. This is the fundamental verse of the mitzvah of tzedakah. And there is a word that is a little bit ambiguous. Normally, the word lamor, which we translate as saying, usually means God speaks to Moshe and he says to Moshe, I want you to tell the Jewish people what I'm saying to you. By Yom Hashem Moshe Lamor, God said to Moshe, saying, meaning God said to Moshe, say this, tell this to the Jewish people, pass it on to the Jewish people. That's the common meaning, and it occurs hundreds of times in the Torah in different forms. However, if we think about the literal translation of the word in this Pasuk, Therefore, I am commanding you to say, Lemor literally means to say, You shall surely Open your hand to share with those who are in need. What does the word lamar to say mean in this Pasuk? So I want to share with you an insight of the Rebbe of Varki, and it's shared by Dr. Abraham Tversky. Obviously, we all know it is a great mitzvah to give tzedakah, to share what we have to give charity generously with someone who is in distress. But in addition to the giving that we do, it's also so also important to appreciate the distress that the person is going through. To have to ask for charity, to have to ask for a handout is humiliating. It is a crushing experience. And when we respond, hopefully generously, by giving to someone who asks, we should also try to respond to the emotional need, to the psychological need that this person has to try to lift this person's spirits. And one of the ways that we can do that, one of the strategies, and it's very true, is to say to a person, listen, I understand 
You feel bad, you have to ask for a handout. But I want to tell you something. Wealth is cyclical. And there are people that are in need at one time in their life, and then at another time in their life, they are blessed with success and with fortune. And I recognize that now you're a recipient. You're asking me for tzedakah. But I want to tell you, hopefully one day, you will be able to help someone else. And that, says Dr. Tversky, that's what the Pusik means. The Pusik means, Therefore, I command you to say to the person who is asking you for tzedakah, you one day will be able to open your hand to share with someone else. And that is a very, very powerful thing to say. Now, Dr. Tversky gives the following example. I have found this true in many areas of life, and I'm sure you've experienced it, well, experienced it as well. But Dr. Tversky's example goes like this. Of course, you know that for decades he served as a psychiatrist, mainly treating those with drug addiction. And he says that many times he would have a person who comes in for treatment and they are humiliated and ashamed of their predicament being addicted to drugs and what it causes them to do. And what he will do with such a patient is he will introduce them to another person and say to them, this person was in the same situation that you were in, but they were able to get help and now they're better and now they are volunteering their time to help someone like you who's going through it because they know what it's like. And he concludes, hopefully one day I will be, asked, I will be able to ask you to volunteer someone who is coming in for treatment, who needs your help. You will be able to help someone else. Now you need the help. Hopefully in the future you'll be able to help someone else. Nothing is as devastating as the loss of hope, Dr. Tversky writes. Giving someone hope is every bit as important as providing other modes of help. And that's what the Pusik means to say that God is commanding us to say to the person who's requesting the tzedakah that hopefully you will be able to help someone else in the future. So, in addition to the right actions, tzedakah requires the right words using the right words to try to lift the person's spirit as we share generously and help, hope to meet their needs. But tzedakah also requires the right attitude. And the right attitude should help the right words come to our lips and the right actions to follow. So I want to share an insight from Rabbi Sachs Let's consider for a moment the word tzedakah. We're all familiar with that word. We translate it as charity. We understand that it is the mitzvah to share what we have with others that are in need. 
But the word itself, tzedakah, is a very interesting word because it cannot be translated into English. There is no English word that conveys the meaning of tzedakah because tzedakah joins together two concepts that in English are opposite each other. They are contradictory. The two words in English that convey the meaning of the word tzedakah are charity and justice, from tzedek, justice. Now in English, charity and justice are in conflict with each other. For example, if a person wants me to give them $100. Now, if they're entitled to it, then it's justice. If they're not entitled to it, then it's charity. Charity cannot be justice and justice cannot be charity. They are contradictory concepts in English. But tzedakah is a unique word because it means both. And there is no single English word that conveys that. The concept of the word tzedakah to relate to this activity comes from a specific theology of Judaism. And it's a theology of Judaism that distinguishes between ownership and possession. Possession means I have the right to use something. Ownership means I have an intrinsic ownership of it. But I can possess something and not be the owner. And in fact, according to the Torah, that is true for everything in the world. In the Stone Chumash, on page 700, for example, back in the Parsha Bahar, <coughs> page 700, Pusik number 23, near the top of the page, famous verse, we've quoted it many times before. This is a verse in relation to the laws of the Shemitah, the sabbatical year, and the Yovel, the Jubilee year, the Torah says, Ki li ha'aretz, I'm sorry, v'ha'aretz lo misus. We are not allowed to sell land in Israel in perpetuity. Ki li ha'aretz, because God says, the world belongs to me. The land belongs to me. You have use of the land. You can take possession of the land, but you do not have ownership of the land. Only God has ownership of the land. Because we're not owners, we are guardians or trustees. Possessions are entrusted into our control, but we have to act.
the way that a trustee should act. And that includes sharing part of what we have with others who are in need. So what would be regarded as charity in any other legal system in Jewish law, tzedakah is a requirement of law because it's not charity. It's also justice. And that means that tzedakah can be enforced by law. So the word tzedakah conveys a concept that is both charity and justice. Let me share with you an insight. I saw this written by Dr. Torsky, as well as others, an insight that uses this concept applied in a very creative way to a technical detail of Jewish law. So let's discuss Jewish laws of inheritance. Let's say, for example, you have a man and the man has three daughters. The man passes away. According to Jewish law, each daughter inherits equally. That means each daughter receives one-third share of the estate. Okay. Now, the father could decide to alter the amounts that each daughter will receive. It is not advisable because it will probably cause animosity. And it must be done in a way that is halakhically acceptable. There is such a thing as a halakhic will. That's a subject for another time. But it can be done. Says the Talmud, though, what if the father leaves everything to just one daughter? Says the Talmud, we assume and we impose this in Besdin, in, in a Jewish court, as a matter of law, that the designated daughter is only a trustee, and she must share equally with her sisters. Because, explains the Gemara, because it is unthinkable that a parent would favor one child and ignore the rest. So it must be, again as a matter of law, that the father did this, giving everything to one daughter, in order to place the responsibility on the designated daughter to see to it that each of her sisters gets their equal share. That's the passage in the Talmud. Here's the application. Why is it that some of us are rich and some of us are poor? It is unthinkable that it's because God favors some of his children over others. Unthinkable. It must be that if you have more, it means that you have been appointed a trustee on behalf of those who have less to see to it that everyone is cared for. That's why it's called tzedakah. 
Because it's not just charity. It's not just generosity or kind-heartedness or soft-heartedness. But it's the responsibility of a trustee. It's charity and justice combined. I'm sure many of us have heard of or familiar with the Reichman family, originally from Toronto. And maybe you've heard of or you know of Paul Reichman, who passed away a few years ago. But Paul and his entire family were known throughout the entire Jewish world for their great wealth, their generous philanthropy, and their sterling character. In the early 1990s, they famously went bankrupt during the global real estate slump. After Paul Reichman went into bankruptcy, he was honored by a yeshiva that he had supported very generously for many years. Obviously, he was no longer able to support them financially. But they had already agreed to honor him. They wanted to honor him. And so he spoke at this event. Now, I would never say this about anyone. Certainly not about Paul Reichman, who I admire. But he said this about himself, and he said it publicly, and I share it with you. He spoke at this dinner, and he said... The Talmud tells the story of Rabbi Hananiah ben Tradian, who once found a young woman who was the daughter of a very wealthy man. And this young woman was picking through the garbage, looking for food. So Rabbi Hananiah ben Tradian was so shocked that a woman who had come from such an amazingly wealthy family was picking through garbage to find food. He couldn't understand how could this family come to such an end. So he said to this woman, didn't your father give excessive amounts of tzedakah? Didn't he have merits that should have protected him from losing his fortune and that his daughter should be forced into poverty? How is it possible? And the daughter replied with the following words, Kedaboy Loboy, which means my father gave a lot of tzedakah, but not as much as he should have given. Paul Reichman continued. He said, I have given a lot of money to support this yeshiva. But do you know why I lost my fortune? I didn't give as much as I should have given. Paul Reichman understood. He was a trustee. He did not give charity. He gave tzedakah. I want to share with you an insight. <clears throat> it's partially based on an essay by Rabbi Yaakov Neuberger. In our Parsha, the Parsha of Re'eh, 
Yerushalayim, the city of Jerusalem, has a major role. It is referred to in our Parsha numerous times. Though the name itself, Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, is not mentioned even once. Rather, it is referred to as Hamakom Asher Yivcha Hashem, the place that God will choose, the place that God will select. And that phrase, referring to Yerushalayim, is repeated several times in our Parsha. It's at the beginning of the Parsha, it's in the middle of the Parsha, it's at the very end of the Parsha. I'd like to focus with you on one specific instance of this reference, one specific verse that has a very important lesson to teach us tonight. So I'm in the Stone Chumash on page 1000, and I am in the middle of the page, Pasuk number Hey, number five. The end of the Pasuk says as follows, just four words. Lishichno Sidrishu Uvasashama. It refers at the beginning of the Pasuk to Hamakom Asher Yivchar Hashem, to the place where God will choose, meaning Yerushalayim. Lishichno Sidrishu, which means Lishichno from the word Shechina, God's presence. Sidrishu from the word Doresh, to seek. If you seek out my presence, God says, Uvasa Shama, you will arrive there. Yerushalayim is a place where God's presence is more palpable, more impactful than anywhere else. And here is the promise that God makes to us in this verse. If we are doresh, if we seek God, if we seek to come close to God, if we try, if we expend effort, if we sacrifice, if we go through introspection, if we seek God's presence, we are promised by God we will arrive there. That's God's promise. Our job is to be doresh, to seek, to seek it genuinely and honestly and earnestly. Now, just as we seek more immediacy of God's presence in space, in Yerushalayim, we also seek more immediacy of God's presence in time. And that's indicated by the usage of the same word, doresh, to seek in another verse, famous verse, Dirshu Hashem Bihimatsa'o. Seek God when He can more easily be found. And our sages tell us this refers to the High Holidays, Yamim Narayim, to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. A week from tonight, next Thursday night and Friday, is Rosh Chodesh Elul, the beginning of the month of Elul, 
the month before Rosh Hashanah, the month of preparing for the high holidays that are coming. The month of seeking. The month where we begin this verse, Dear Shu Hashem Behimato, seek out God when He is more easily found. That starts next week. Same word, Doresh, Dirshu, Yidrishu, same word, different forms. And the same con connotation of extending effort and introspection. And though there are many vehicles for this seeking and searching for God, there is one primary avenue also associated with this same word, Doresh. Another time that the same word is used. In fact, this is the first time in the Torah that it's used. Back in Bereshis, in the Stone Chumash, on page 124. On page 124, we read about the marriage of Yitzchak and Rivka, Isaac and Rebekah. And they went many years without being able to have a child. And finally, Rebekah became pregnant. Rivka became pregnant. And the Torah says, page 124, near the bottom of the page, number Chavez, Pasuk 22, Rivka was suffering during her pregnancy. And the Torah says at the end of the Pesach, Vatelech lidrosh es Hashem. She went to seek out God. She was suffering. Rabbi Soloveitchik explains that when the Torah says she went to seek out God, it means through prayer. To come closer to God. She prayed to come closer to God. She prayed to be able to live with the painful questions that were causing her anguish and turmoil. We certainly have a lot of turmoil and anguish today. Many types and levels and layers and we have a constructive way to address it through prayer. This year, starting next week with the month of Elul and then leading to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Sukkos, whether we're inside, whether we're outside, whether we're at home alone, whether we're with others, whether we are healthy or whether we are sick, whether we are confident or whether we are afraid, our prayers should have a different order of intensity this year because of what we're going through. And not just a different order of intensity, but a different type of intensity. One of the issues that all of us are dealing with all of us certainly that are working on trying to prepare services for the high holidays, 
is the issue of safety concerns around singing aloud. Even if we're in a shul or a tent, the services this year will be very, very different. There will be no chazan. There will be no choir. There will be no soaring, inspiring music. It will be different than probably we have ever experienced. We should make use of the opportunity that this surreal, unique year provides. We should use this as an opportunity to deepen our private prayers, to lengthen our silent Amidah, saying each word with awareness and feeling and adding our own personal words and our thoughts. Because this year, that will be our prayer experience. Not the music, not the prayers out loud, but the silent prayers. So we need to make them more valuable, more meaningful. At the end of every silent Amidah, <coughs> we add this line. Yilratzon, imrefi vegyon libi, lefonecha Hashem. May it be your will, God, that you accept imrefi, the words of my mouth, vehegyon libi, and the thoughts of my heart. Using both Imrefi, the words of our mouths, and Hegyon Libi, the thoughts and feelings in our hearts, we must be Doresh. We must seek out God genuinely, honestly, and earnestly to ask God for answers to what is going on in our lives and in the world, or at least, God, help us live with these questions. Our Parsha promises us if we seek God, we will reach God. My friends, I want to wish you a wonderful evening and a great Shabbos. And I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.